This morning we'll be reading from Psalm 59. And I encourage you to turn in your Bible. And there are Bibles in the pew rack in front of you if you did not bring one this morning. To the choir master, according to Do Not Destroy, a mictom of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. Deliver me from my enemies, O my God. Protect me from those who rise up against me. Deliver me from those who work evil and save me from bloodthirsty men. For lo, they lie in wait for my life. Fierce men band themselves against me. For no transgression or sin of mine, O Lord, for no fault of mine, they run and make ready. Rouse thyself. Come to my help and see. Thou, Lord God of hosts, art God of Israel. Awake to punish all the nations. Spare none of those who treacherously plot evil. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are, bellowing with their mouths and snarling with their lips. For who, they think, will hear us? But thou, O Lord, dost laugh at them. Thou dost hold all the nations in derision. O my strength, I will sing praises to thee. For thou, O God, art my fortress. My God in his steadfast love will meet me. My God will let me look in triumph on my enemies. Slay them not, lest my people forget. Make them totter by thy power and bring them down, O Lord, our shield. For the sin of their mouths, the words of their lips, let them be trapped in their pride. For the cursing and lies which they utter, consume them in wrath, consume them till they are no more, that men may know that God rules over Jacob to the ends of the earth. Each evening they come back, howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They roam about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. But I will sing of thy might. I will sing aloud of thy steadfast love in the morning. For thou hast been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O my strength, I will sing praises to thee. For thou, O God, art my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. There was a scene from the movie Gandhi that I will never forget, I think. The Muslims and the Hindus were at war. There was a town, the tension was so thick you could cut it with a knife. And late one night, you saw this mob, it looked like, racing through the streets with torches. They were being chased by just a few men. And all of a sudden, they stopped because it became clear to them 
they vastly outnumbered their pursuers. And in one of the most dramatic, powerful five seconds, they turned and there was silence. Hundred maybe against two or three. And rage just shot through that crowd. And they came down like the fox being transformed into a bloodthirsty hound upon those three and chased them into a house with one exit and set it on fire. Can you imagine what it's like to be trapped by a mob in a house who wants to kill you? No police, no 911, no reason, no claim to innocence, just wild-eyed rage and wickedness. David knew what it was like. Did you see how the psalm began? A miktam of David. Nobody knows what the word miktam means. That's not the important thing. A miktam of David, when Saul sent men to watch his house in order to kill him. What's it like? Can your imagination handle this? What's it like to be surrounded by men who have a mandate from the king? Kill him. No law against this. Well, David described what it was like. Look at verses 6 and 7. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. There they are bellowing with their mouths and snarling with their lips. For who, they think, will hear us? Verses 14 and 15, he goes on describing these bloodhounds. Each evening they come back howling like dogs and prowling about the city. They roam about for food and growl if they do not get their fill. In other words, they're going to eat David. Just like they're going to eat a trapped and wounded animal. Just give him the right chance in the right moment and he's dead. Well, the movie goes on, you remember. And the smoke starts to billow up out of the house. And there's just rage and screaming outside the house. And the men inside only have two choices. They burst open the door and come out and the the crowd silences. The sword appears. They force one of them to the ground and chop off his head in the street. Terrifying scene. Of course, it's only a movie, right? Just a movie. The death of John and Betty Stam was not a movie. December 6, 1934, Tsingte, China. Betty is washing the three-month-old baby girl, Helen, when the house is surrounded by the Red Army. They open the door. They have no choice. They're not soldiers. They take them captive. The next morning, they bind them. Forced them to march to Miao day's journey away. That night, they tied John to a post, let Betty free to care for the baby. One more night together. 
The next morning, they stripped them down to their underclothes and forced them to walk through the city of Miasheo and demand that the onlookers follow them to the execution. They find a little patch of pine trees on the edge of town, force John to the ground and behead him with a sword while his wife watches. She falls over the body and they behead her. The little baby is left back in the bedroom. They went to Moody Bible Institute. This is not a movie. They were in their mid-twenties like half of you are. It happened 51 years, one month, and 11 days ago. It was real. And so is this psalm real. David was a fugitive. An irrational King Saul wants him dead. He sends bloodhounds after him and surrounds his house. And God saves him. And he writes a song. Psalm 59. And that's the way it's been all through church history, hasn't it? The more the people of God have suffered, the more they have been brought to the brink of reality and stripped of all that is visible and all that is superficial, the more they have sung with depth and power. There was a pastor in England, Henry Francis Light, and he came to the end of his life plagued by ill health and hated by his congregation. They put him out. He preached his last sermon Sabbath day morning, went home that evening sat down on a rock and watched the sun go down at the end of his ministry and the end of his life. And he wrote, Abide with me. Fast falls the eventide, the darkness deepens. Lord, with me abide. Then other helpers fail and comforts flee. O help of the helpless, abide with me. The greatest hymn that's ever been written about death, born out of suffering and agony. O God, our help in ages past, born out of a national crisis in England back in the 18th century. The year was 1714. Queen Anne was on the throne, a nominal Protestant. Her courtiers got her to prepare the Schism Act, which would have allowed a papal monarch to take the throne and resulted in a massive civil war. The day before the Schism Act was to go into effect, Queen Anne dropped dead. And Isaac watched watched this and wrote, Under the shadow of thy throne thy saints have dwelt secure. Sufficient is thine arm alone, and our defense is sure. He saw the arm of God spare the nation from civil war. You know where the hymn, It is well with my soul, comes from? You know that story, don't you? Horatio Spafford lost four daughters at sea. He gets the news and he writes, When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll. Don't ever sing that song again without thinking of this. When sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say. Could he really have written the next line? It is, it is well 
it is well with my soul. Brothers and sisters, don't begrudge the suffering in your life. God may be writing a song for the church of God. If there were no tears in the eye, the soul would have no rainbow. If no shepherd kings were surrounded by bloodthirsty hounds, if no young missionaries were beheaded or died at the spears of Alcas, if no pastors were hated and driven from their churches, if no nations tottered on the brink of oppression, if no daughters were lost at sea, the songbook of the Bible and the hymnody of the church would be thin and shallow and would not touch us very deep. We owe so much to the suffering of the saints. Charles Spurgeon said, the music of the sanctuary is indebted to the suffering of the saints. John Calvin wrote, if singing be tempered to the gravity which is fitting in the sight of God and the angels, it both lends dignity and grace to the sacred actions and has the greatest value in kindling our hearts to a true zeal and eagerness to pray. And the kind of singing that does that is born in the day of distress when the might and the mercy of God make a refuge for his people. November 1731, a little boy is born in Hertfordshire, England. Before he is six years old, three of his brothers die and two of his sisters, and two days before he is six, his mother dies in childbirth. When he was 58 years old, he kept a picture of her on his dresser and wept when he thought about her. He was left with an infant brother and a daddy. He had a deformity that nobody knew about and caused him exceeding grief. In 1753, he fell in love with Theodora, and her father cut it off and wouldn't let them marry. He went into a deep melancholy and tried to hang himself three times, and it didn't work. And the next morning, he wrote a poem called Buried Above Ground. He was institutionalized for two years in 1763, insane in Cotton's Asylum. And there he heard the gospel of grace. And little by little, it started to make sense and to get inside. He struggled the rest of his life with melancholy. He never got really well. But he wrote a song that when I'm 80 years old, and my 16 grandchildren and four sons gather around the table. We're going to sing. God moves in a mysterious way. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and rides upon the storm. You fearful saints, fresh courage take. The clouds you so much dread are big with mercy and will break in blessings on your head. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense. Trust him for his grace behind a frowning providence. He hides a smiling 
face. His purposes will ripen fast, unfolding every hour. The bud may have a bitter taste, but sweet will be the flower. Blind unbelief is sure to err, and scan his work in vain. God is his own interpreter, and he will make it plain. I tell you, I am glad William Cooper went insane. He also wrote, There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunged beneath that flood lose all their guilty state. Go insane. A song like that means something to you. Weeping may last for the night, but joy comes with the morning. And when it comes, it comes with a song. And not a little thin, glib song. A deep song. And when the sails go up, the sails of song, all of that baggage of misery that almost threatened to capsize the boat, it doesn't get thrown overboard. You know where it goes? It goes into the bottom of the ship. It's called ballast. It makes the keel cut deep through the big waves yet to come. Don't begrudge the misery in your life. He's giving you ballast so that big sails can go up without tipping over the boat. All of this is simply intended to show you the proper background to verses 16 and 17. You know why I love the hymn that Jerry Sundberg sang for me at my birthday party? I wish you all could have been there. It was the greatest party I've ever had last Sunday night. Jerry Sundberg sang, Wer nur den lieben Gott lässt walten, Und hoffet auf ihn alle Zeit. Why do I love that hymn? If thou but suffer God to guide thee and hope in him through all thy days, he'll give thee strength, whate'er betide thee and see thee through the evil days. Who hopes in God's unchanging love builds on a rock that naught can move? I'll tell you why I love that song. Because Georg Neumark wrote it the day after he was beaten, stripped, plundered as a 21-year-old man on the way to the University of Kiel. And therefore, it's got depth. He's got ballast. And he's got to avoid the shallow waters. Just like we ought to avoid the shallow waters. Verses 16 and 17, the dogs, the bloodthirsty hounds are surrounding David's life. But I will sing of thy might. I will sing aloud of thy steadfast love in the morning. For thou hast been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. Oh, my strength, I will sing praises to thee. For thou art, O God, my fortress. The God who shows me steadfast love. 
The sales were up. What was moving this song? Well, let's analyze it just briefly. Might and mercy conspiring to make a fortress. Do you see that? It's repeated twice. Verse 16. I will sing of thy might. Second, I will sing of thy mercy. Steadfast love is just another phrase for mercy. Why? Because when they conspire, line three, they make a fortress and a refuge for the saint in the day of distress. Same thing in verse 17. Oh, my strength, my might. Last line. The God who shows me mercy. And in between those two sandwich pieces, thou, O oh God, art my fortress. So his sail went up to celebrate the might and the mercy of God conspiring like they do in every believer's life to make a fortress for the day of distress. And make no mistake, they made a fortress for John and Betty Stam too. China Inland Mission sent a telegram to Betty's parents in Patterson, New Jersey and told them she had been killed and how. And they sent a telegram back. Listen to this testimony. Deeply appreciate your consolation. Sacrifice seems great, not too great for him who gave himself for us. Experiencing God's grace, believe wholeheartedly. Romans 8, 28. They knew what the rest of the chapter said. We are being killed all day long. We are counted like sheep for the slaughter. No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am persuaded that neither life nor death can separate us from the might and the mercy of God conspiring to make a fortress for the saints of the Almighty. They were delivered. And I want to say something to parents here and all of you young people who might become parents. Don't you want to teach your children to suffer? Teach your children to suffer. Don't hold out silly pictures of what it means to be an obedient Christian. Make them ready. Betty had three brothers and sisters. Let me read a letter to show you how this amazing set of parents prepared their children. Dearest daddy and mother, you don't need to hear me say how much we love you and are thinking of you and praying for you in these days. I have. Such a radiant picture of Betty and John standing with their palms of victory before the throne, singing a song of pure joy, 
because they had given everything they had to their master that I cannot break loose and cry like people expect me to. Crying seems to be too petty for a thing which was so manifestly in the hands of God alone. But my heart is very, very sore for you. Karsten, Benjamin, Abraham, Barnabas, write it like that. Write it like that someday. It was in the hands of God alone when my sister died. Now they're singing. They were delivered. They wrote a psalm just like David did. Oh, get your kids ready. When are you going to sing like that? When are you going to sing from the bottom of your heart? No, no force, form, but singing from the bottom of your heart. I'll tell you when. When you find the might and the mercy of God in the midst of suffering sufficient. Now, I do not mean Go out and find somebody to persecute you. All I mean is this. Open your eyes. This world is one massive, aching sore of need. People in hospitals, people in nursing homes, people in jails, People in halfway houses, people in loneliness, people in grief, people in confusion, people enslaved to drugs, people enslaved to lust, people enslaved to all kinds of things. People, people everywhere in need of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. All I'm saying is open your eyes and let God cause you to love, and you'll suffer if it's only the bone weariness of love late at night when you come home. And when you wake in the morning, you will sing. And when you sing, it won't be any glib, thin, superficial, silly song. It'll be deep. The sails will be high. The ballast will be heavy. The keel will cut deep. Woe to those Christians, those saints so-called, who only want comfort, who want pleasure, who want ease and leisure and longer vacations and more houses and more trinkets and more cars and bigger and better everything and have no eye for the need in the world. Woe to them because their sails are going to be little. Their ballast is going to be light as a feather. Their keel is going to cut shallow. And so they will spend their time sunning themselves on the decks of their teeny little boats in safe and comfortable coves. And when they come to worship on Sunday morning, they will know what's going on here. No emotional resonance with what goes on here. Because they've never felt the might and the mercy of God meeting them in the day of their distress because they've laid themselves out morning to night for the glory of God and the good of the world. Self, 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 shrink, shrink, shrink. 
You don't want to be like that. I want to join the psalmist here and pick up the challenge to our choir master and of our choir master, Dean Palermo. Notice how this psalm begins. To the choir master, Dean Palermo. Why? Why does it begin like that? I'll tell you why. David had suffered. God Almighty had given him a song. And David looked to the choir master and he said, do it right. Do it according to do not destroy. Now, nobody knows what that means. But the choir master knew what it meant. David was saying, I've got a word from God. It's a heavy word. It's ballast in my heart. I'm writing it for the church of God for centuries. Do it right. Do it well. Don't goof up on this song, choir master. Now, the church has not always accepted this challenge. William Warren Sweet wrote a history of the American church in which he said the musical part of New England worship constituted psalm singing in which the psalm was lined out by the ruling elder or by one designated by the minister. The people knew few tunes. And as late as the beginning of the 18th century, New England congregations were rarely able to sing more than three or four. Even the few melodies commonly known became so corrupted that no two individuals sang them alike. So a congregation singing sounded like 500 different tunes roared out at the same time, often two or three words apart, close quote. They evidently didn't understand that to the choir master, to the choir master means do it right. Do it right. I have written a song that is worthy. Sing it worthily. Now. For you people sitting on the steps and down those steps, there's a word for you. March 2nd, we're going to three Sunday morning services. The church voted last Thursday night. The service will be at 8.15, 9.45, and 11.15. We believe it is the will of the Lord that this choir loft be full three times. For which we need 27 more people called by God to minister in song. You are here and God is calling. And I issue the challenge. January is recruitment month. Tonight is a class called Enquire for people who want to come and ask questions about the choir at Dean's house. It'll cost you an hour and a quarter on Wednesday night, a half an hour on Sunday before the service, and you can sing in one service or two services. Come forth and sing. What 
Can you imagine better than standing under the choir master and hearing the word of King David say to the choir master and to his choir, do it right. I've written a song. It's a song for the church of God to carry their hearts into the presence of the Almighty to celebrate his might and his mercy. Do it right. Don't you want to be on the receiving end of that command for the next three months? It's a three-month commitment. Come forth, singers. And all of us are a choir. Let's close by singing this great celebrative song about music that's there in your worship folder. A hymn of affirmation about the value and the depth of music in our worship. Let's stand as we sing. We praise you, almighty God, that again and again you have shown your might and your mercy in our day of distress. And we ask, oh, Father, as we leave this place, that you would put a new song in our hearts, a song of praise to our God that many might see and fear and put their trust in you. And all the people said, Amen.